0: The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the first the premiere episode of the third season of Lower Decks called Grounded. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Akin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places, including your favorite podcast app or at the StarQuest YouTube channel where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Stargate. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. And be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have some awesome listener feedback. We've been uh, gathering that up and we have a lot of great feedback to share with you. So stick around for that. But we are talking about the return of Lower Decks, one of our Yay. favorite series of, of the new series in, in Star Trek from, on Paramount+. And so we're very uh, I'm very happy to see it come back. We'll see if the guys are as well. Uh, but to get started, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens?
1: Captain Fremont is about to be put on trial for destroying Pacled Planet, and it's driving Mariner crazy. Though everyone tells her to trust the Starfleet judicial system, she decides to take matters into her own hands, and she recruits Boimler, Rutherford, and Tindy to help her. Although the Cerritos' logs have been corrupted, she learns that Boimler has been re-recording the captain's logs in his own voice, and they're on his iPad up on the ship, which is in dry dock. Some space critters are in the solar system that block surface-to-space transportation, so they go to Bozeman, Montana, which is now an amusement park commemorating first contact with the Vulcans, and they steal a Phoenix ride of Zefram Cochran's spaceship and use it to fly to the Cerritos and Drydock. There, they discover that Boimler's logs also contain his own personal comments, which are kind of embarrassing. Boimler, Rutherford, and Tendi don't think this will matter because they contain date and location stamps that still prove that the Cerritos wasn't at Pakled Planet when it blew up, but Mariner isn't convinced. She gets the other three into a shuttle and tries sending them back to Earth so that she can steal the Cerritos and go find the Klingons who produced the bomb that destroyed Pacled Planet but the others manage to get back aboard the ship and insist on coming with her. The ship is then overrun by the space critters, which start spawning on its hull. A security ship appears and demands to know what they're doing with the Cerritos, and Tendy gets the idea to say that they're on a mission to study the spawning space critters. That's fine with the security guys, as long as they can give them the name of the officer that authorized the mission. At this point, Captain Fremont Fremont, uh, appears and explains that she authorized the mission, so Tindy and the gang are off the hook. Afterwards, Fremont explains that the trial is already over and she was acquitted, Federation investigators uh, had established that the packleds accidentally blew up their own planet. They only intended to blow up their capital and then coerce the Federation into moving them to a more resource-rich world, but they accidentally blew up the whole thing. It is then pointed out to Mariner that she should have followed the advice of everyone in this episode and trusted the Starfleet justice system. But she didn't, so Captain Fremont has First Officer Ransom take charge of her. If Mariner wants to stay in Starfleet, she has to convince Ransom because he's the one who now decides whether she stays or goes. The end the end
0: <laughs> so <laughs> in, in real time it's been nearly a year since the end of season two i didn't realize it but we've had a lot of things happen in uh in the real world uh in uh, you know on paramount plus with star trek we had uh, the prodigy mm-hmm. we had picard we had uh strange new world so a lot and another season, we had of discovery the, the unmentionable series yes, the yeah. unmentionable. sorry i mentioned it the uh the that, that series which must not be named and uh Uh, So it's kind of fun to come back to this after so long, and to see to see this uh, again, and to kind of follow up on that cliffhanger of a season finale last time. Uh, So it's interesting to start with, you know, again our lower decks crew. It it really this episode I felt like kind of epitomizes the idea of the series, which is this crew, the lower decks crew, are getting into adventures on their own. Meanwhile, we'll learn at the end that the star crews—you know, the the ones who are mm-hmm. the you know the the attention getters, the captains and such—are off doing some grand adventure and you know taking care of things that our lower Decks crew isn't going to see. So I kind of feel I feel like this season premiere really epitomizes the ethos of this series.
2: Well, not just are the lower decks getting an adventure, but they're completely oblivious that there's anything going on on the upper, you know, upper levels, so to speak. Right. And so they're getting into this, this wild goose chase, basically. While meanwhile, the real, the real solution was being found. It had already been found by the time they had actually started their plan. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting from a writing point of view
1: because in this episode, if our, if Mariner had not done anything, we would end up in the same place and Mariner wouldn't be in the doghouse. Yep. yep. So so this is in you think about it from a certain point of view, and this is actually kind of dark. Um because Mariner gets all this causes all this chaos and um and basically mommy bails her out. And then um because she has caused so much chaos, she gets put on in an even more precarious situation where she has to has to kowtow to ransom now. And we'll see how that plays out in the rest of the season. But this is from a certain point of view, this is she does not have agency here. She is not causing things to happen. She's essentially spinning her wheels. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, this is a comedy yeah. And yep. so um, so it kind of works, even though from another point of view, if this was not played for comedy, this would be a downer of an episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it's kind of interesting how you can look at it from both of those perspectives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's, a, there's a lot of the it, modern adult animation stuff that really has this son sort of circular. Uh, it doesn't it, it the the characters don't actually change anything. It's very like Seinfeld that way where it's a, a show, you know. Things happen, but they end up in in not actually a comp- changing all that much outside yeah. of themselves. I, I suspect that they didn't
1: know what the solution was going to be at the end of last season, that they mm-hmm. didn't have a plan for what was going to happen in this season, and this is a, this is something they came up with that Works on a comedic level, but is kind of thin from a dramatic point of view.
0: Yeah, yeah. um So, as you mentioned, you know, the Captain Freeman's on trial, and the rest of the crew's on shore leave. So we get some fun bits of the crew on, you know, back in their earthly earth lives. Uh, we we start with Mariner. She's angry, uh, as you mentioned, she's angry to be on Earth, oh. and she's like <laughs> raging at her stuff. dad. Like, why do they even still have the Golden Gate Bridge? No one drives anymore. I I love the
1: fact that they hung a lantern on that because we've been seeing San Francisco in the 23rd or 24th century for ages now. And the Golden Gate Bridge is still there so we can recognize it, even though
2: nobody (laughs) drives cars anymore. Um, So that's that's cool. At least in Picard, you know, they put, like, solar panels over the the road deck, basically. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I suppose we still have Roman aqueducts. You know, we, we keep ancient structures up. So I, I guess it's a historical <laughs> thing. Um, and then we have Brad, Boimler's family. He's working what looks like, at first, looks like it's a vineyard. But it, turns it is out a vineyard. It, it's a vineyard. Yeah. But it's not a wine vineyard. It's a yeah. raisin vineyard. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I love how Boimler is in in the vineyard all the workers are female and they're all throwing themselves at boimler and <laughs> <Yes>. he's completely <laughs> oblivious to it
0: he is, he is. <laughs> like, he's he's like some sort of raisin stud of some sort <laughs> and, and like yeah. like because on on board the the Cerritos, he's you know kind of a dork but you know as apparently at the at the raisin vineyard he's he's the the the, the man of the hour but uh, yeah that was really that was funny uh, kind of the the i mean and they get
1: progressively more yeah. open about how they're throwing <laughs> yes. themselves at at him yeah. but um but my favorite is the is the woman who comes up with two clusters of grapes one in each hand and she's like oh brad the the cultivars are so confusing can you can you come to the sorting shed and explain it to me and he's like for heaven's sake put the red in the red basket and the white in the white basket
0: <laughs> and I, I, I suppose given that it's the season premiere it bears pointing out to folks that this is uh not really suitable for younger kids there is some uh, mm-hmm. Uh, a yeah. d- uh, double entendres in, and in outright window. stuff. Yeah, innuendo yeah. that happens throughout the episode and will be in other episodes and it has happened in previous seasons. So just be aware of that, uh, that it's there. And uh, some I, language
2: I, issues, too, even with even with some words blanked out, they still have some words that parents true. might not be comfortable with their kids hearing, too. Yeah. So. yeah.
1: Incidentally, they so obviously they're they're parodying Boimler with Captain Picard here. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. Captain Picard does have a wine vineyard. And also, they may even be deliberately parodying what happened in season two of Picard, where you have this attempted romance between Laris and Picard, where she's not throwing herself at Picard, but she's clearly signaling openness (laughs) to a relationship with Picard. Yeah. And so here we have here we have Brad Boimler with his drying up grape raisin vineyard <laughs> and the women are just actively throwing themselves at him
0: well and even that picard was was clueless too like about yeah, laris yeah. <laughs> so, yeah yeah that's true that's true uh they even have some of like the the, ro- the the uh hovering robot the uh, thing mm-hmm. so yeah i think it's clearly they're being inspired by picard
2: in that case well, they even have boimler looking like he's in the shadow and he kind of looks like picard with the big straw hat yeah. and the overalls and
0: <laughs> that's right that's right uh, and then we have Rutherford and Tendy there' uh in New Orleans they're at Cisco's restaurant we don't see Z- Cisco's any Cisco. Creole
1: kitchen yeah
0: yep. yep um there's a little Easter egg on the uh on the table a little a little uh, nod to fans uh the hot sauce on the table is called yep. catcher cell white hot sauce yeah <laughs> it's
2: 17 million Scoville units which <laughs> yeah. that's really hot
0: that's that's yeah super hot uh it, we have a, a funny Although scene it where, doesn't
2: it doesn't bother uh, uh mariner she's just dumping it on but right where gets a drop. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and um, his face
1: becomes disturbingly red
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yeah. uh and tendy and rutherford talk about all the places that they've been visiting and we have this this you know the, the wonderful aspect of 24th century earth is with transporters you can visit any place on earth at you know at any time different you know you can mm-hmm. go to the other side of the planet the same day uh and so they're trying to plan their their visits to different places um and uh that's when um uh uh what am I saying? Nuffrey Mariner and Boimler show up at the restaurant with this plan to exonerate Captain Freeman. And it requires them to get up to the Cerritos.
1: Yeah, yeah, by going and finding Boimler's logs. Right. Incidentally, there's another Easter egg in the um, in the restaurant. If you look carefully in the background, you'll see there's an alligator hanging from this from the ceiling. And that's the same alligator that was in Deep Space Nine, which Jake Sisko said his grandfather uh, used to tell him that it's only just in stasis, not actually stuffed, <laughs> that it's oh. o- only just in stasis, and that he would let it out at night to guard the restaurant.
0: <laughs> I,
1: forgot I forgot about, about that. That. that.
0: That was good. Uh, so their first goal, their, their first uh, plan for getting up to the Cerritos is to find an old transporter um, station with an encrypted transport and to go which, and... which.
1: Which is a nice idea, the idea yeah. of an encrypted transporter where you have to have the right code to go through.
0: Right. And this mm-hmm. recalls Star Trek, f- not four, uh, three, when mm-hmm. the when they hijack the Enterprise and Yohura uh, has to, she's a transporter chief and she has to uh, hijack the transporter for everyone. And mm-hmm. uh, so the, their plan is to go there, knock out the transporter chief and take over the station and beam themselves up. But then they show up and it's this this sweetest old granddad yeah
1: <laughs> transporter chief
0: yes and yeah. he's offering them butterscotches and like and and then he's like yeah they you know it's it's such a great place and you're such nice kids too often, I get people here trying to knock me out, and that's a big mistake. <laughs> You're
2: like, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> So that was that was a, a lot of fun, and so they're obviously. Oh, and the other thing is, is he has his collection of rebuilt transporters mm-hmm. as his his hobby of uh, rebuilding old transporter uh, t- uh, uh, modules, uh, and that was kind of fun. Um, and then, um, so the, the so then the backup plan is. To go to historical Bozeman, Montana, Father Corey. Montana. Oh.
1: and it's 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 the transporter chief. His name is Carlton Dennis. Yeah, His, mm-hmm. it's he who tells them that the space critters, which are called the verugament. Oh, right. They they look kind of like pink slugs, but mm-hmm. they're in space. Yep, and they're like streaming through the solar system. And he tells them that the verugament, or the space critters, as I will call them, because mm-hmm. I don't want to remember the word verugament. Um, <laughs> are uh, are are blocking sur- spa- surface to space transport and so right. he 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 can't get them up to the Cerritos and dry dock and so that's when they have their fallback plan of let's go to Bozeman which was actually one of the things Tendi was really wanting to do yes um when they were discussing their their travel itinerary she really wanted to go to Bozeman
0: and if we remember from Star Trek first contact Uh, that's where it was Ephraim Cochran had the first, uh, warp speed warp flight and the first contact with the Vulcans. And so it's been turned into a theme park or
2: historical, you know, like (laughs) historical Williamsburg and, uh, these these tourists, these these tourists ruining my state, I swear, (laughs) taking this historical (laughs) monument and turning it into a theme park. I just, no, no. I I, I love,
1: I love the idea though, of, we now have a ride. Yes, that's the Phoenix. And <laughs> yes. so and there's like one that leaves every five minutes or something. And so you get to go up and reenact the first flight of the Phoenix at Warp One that attracted the Vulcan's attention. Right. And yep. and captaining the, the ride is a hologram of Zephyrm Cochran, yep. who right. is voiced by James Cromwell. Right. who was the actor that played Zefram Cochran. And so he's like a tour guide uh, (laughs) version of himself talking about, you know, the journey they're doing and giving safety instructions and things like that. And and then as they lift off. He does exactly what he did in uh, in Star Trek First Contact, which was suddenly remember something and pull out a disc and put it into the stereo system. And it's Steppenwolf's magic carpet ride. Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: awesome. I love that. Yeah. That was so good. I did, I did have to look back. uh You know, before that, we see the grounds and you see the statue. You know, Jordy yep. in yes. first contact talking about the statue, and he's talking about you're standing right where the statue is, and you're you're looking to the stars, reaching up, and of course he's got his hand open. George's got his hand open like he's reaching, yeah. and then you see the statue, and it's really like he's pointing yeah towards the stars
0: <laughs> right it's right. slightly different
1: uh, and and now we get to see everything else that geordie saw around it yep. yes <laughs>
0: exactly yes. the uh there's the bar that's uh never closes with the, jukebox. Yeah. with the jukebox that plays one song and the uh the attendee and rutherford are wearing the hat that uh That uh, it was Zeffren Cochran was wearing throughout that, and so so that was pretty good. The uh, the Vulcan ship is now a playground for kids, like it's (laughs) got slides.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And telling him about the statue was hard enough. I don't know that Jordy should
0: have told him. And it's an amusement park. Yeah. Right.
2: And
0: so yeah, they get on board the uh, Rise of Phoenix replica into orbit ride. And uh, they're gonna uh, take it over once it gets going. Uh, and then there's that one guy who joins them, like the singleton, like the the guy who's visiting the park alone. And he's like, "Well, the attendant told me to go, you know, as a singleton to go and sit with you guys, so I'm here." And he's like really nervous and yeah. doesn't really. Ga-
1: Gavin is his name. Gavin, yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> so when they end up taking it over, Gavin is like freaking out. And then by the end of it. He's like kind of lost something upstairs. Yeah. And he's decided to take the the hijacked uh Phoenix off on an adventure of his own and ends up having to get rescued out by Jupiter or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I, I, I wrote in my notes, Gavin takes over the Phoenix once they get to the Streetos. I'm like, we'll see him again. Like <laughs> he'll be back. Yeah. Oh, he, well, he says, he,
1: You haven't heard the last of me.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he got rescued by a runabout. Right, right, right so uh they so once on board the
0: cerritos
1: rescued is sort of a relative term because from their point of view they were rescuing him from his point of view they were
0: interfering with his star journey (laughs) exactly he mentions (laughs) trek if you will his star trek if you will yeah Uh, they don't say that um so on board the cerritos boimler gets his copies of the captain's i love the fact that he re-records the captain's logs in his own voice as a sort of like uh imagining himself to be the captain sort of thing mm-hmm. and therefore practice
1: of... for being a captain or something yeah. yeah uh
0: and then he's not at all embarrassed by the what should be embarrassing anecdotes about him like <laughs> the fact that well, he was on an alien planet and the atmosphere made him gassy <laughs> that that he dyes his hair purple it's not naturally purple um you know <laughs> well, kind of weird stuff like that so uh so that was that was funny like mariner's like no no you should be embarrassed i'm not embarrassed that's fine it's like we can't use these uh so she decides to mariner decides to hijack the streetos to get that better evidence to exonerate and which is so the 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 claim
1: is that the um the pack leads or that captain fremont or it's really the Pakleds, got a bomb, a planet-destroying bomb from the Klingons. And so Mariner's plan is to go find those Klingons and bring them back. And while she does have a good rapport with Klingons, there are a lot of Klingons in the galaxy. (laughs) How good of a plan is go find the Klingons that built the covert planet-destroying bomb. Yeah. Is that really your best plan or is just using the the time and date and location stamps on Boimler's iPad the better plan? <laughs> right. She's not really being <laughs> rational here.
0: Uh, so that that's true. Um so they use the swarming reproductive cycle of the space bugs, the slugs as cover for stealing the ship um and they they take them on board. Like they're all all over the outside of the ship, but then they're inside the hangar and um, when the security guys show up, they're in there and they said that they're helping the reproductive cycle and it's gross <laughs> and it's uh, innuendo about what's going on. And so, yeah, you know, too much about that. But um, well, all they're doing. So as humans, they are transporting.
1: They just they're taking gametes between. Yeah. Different different space critters. Thank you. For and that. facilitating their reproduction in that way. But the the space critters are are in instinct mode and so the it's it's pretty gross what the uh, <laughs> space critters are doing yeah. but it doesn't
0: look anything
1: like human reproduction no no which no, no, is no. The key point
2: yes,
0: yes but it's all slimy and gross and they're like getting electrocuted and zapped uh, yeah. over and over as they're trying to claim that they're involved in a scientific experiment to security uh and that's when captain freeman and the rest of the bridge crew Show up and explain how Freeman was exonerated. Starfleet conducted a secret investigation led by Captain Bateson. You'll remember yes. Captain Bateson played by Kelsey Grammer in the the, the Next Generation episode. Yesterday's Enterprise was it? Causing, no, causing, Cause and Effect. Cause and effect. Oh, cause and
1: effect. So he's he's he's, he's, yeah. he's the captain of the Enterprise C.
0: No, 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 he's no, 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 no! the of The Bozeman.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah, he's the captain of the Bozeman. Who he's from? Like at this point, I guess I don't know forty 100? years in the past, something like that. Yeah, something like I that. thought it
2: was. I thought it was ninety years that he was in the loop. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, something he's like from that. the past, he's but the past. he's yeah. he's now a secret
1: agent. <laughs> and he's got other people on his team Um, maybe he's part of Section 31. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, also, uh, they found it. So the evidence that was incriminating Captain Freeman was uh, videotape and mm-hmm. or, you know, video recording and Commander Tuvok. Who we get to see but not hear. So we don't get to hear Tim Ross's voice or Kelsey Grammer's voice. Mm. Um, we, um, uh, Commander Tuvok found the forger of the video uh, and he was captured in the neutral zone.
0: I totally want a series that features Captain Bateson and, and Tuvok and the Bozeman and secret missions. And the, that better be the Section 31 series. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. That'd that'd that would cool. be awesome. Kelsey Grammer would be awesome. <laughs> Make it so. Uh, yeah <laughs> so and that that's the the, the great part is, is that that would normally be the star trek episode that we would see mm-hmm. or even a whole season of you know <laughs> instead it's the anecdote we get at the end of this whole episode and that's the classic lower decks um and as you mentioned freeman says as your mother i'm just not an objective observer i can't keep bailing you out you are out of control and so now i'm going to put you in under someone else's charge who can be objective and you need to now straighten up and fly right or you're out of starfleet and that's when she puts her under the charge of uh commander ransom and uh, who turns and, to Freeman and who turns to Mariner and says, "I'm your mama now."
2: <laughs> yes,
1: it's <laughs> just good. So it's kind of obvious where they're going to go with this. Yeah. Um You know, she's going to have she's going to chafe under, under, um, under ransom, and eventually we'll come to a crisis point, and then eventually that'll get resolved. So that's a little paint by numbers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although Lower Decks has subverted our expectations in the past and they may do that again. So we'll see. We'll yep, see. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's the end of that episode of uh, Father Corey. Any other notes?
2: Well, you know, kind of a rule of thumb, especially for things like this that are, you know, satire or comedy is if they have a news thing, watch the ticker. Yes. Yeah. Um, so of yeah. course we started with a news thing and the first one was that Admiral Jell- Jellicoe, who of course we remember from the episode where Picard goes undercover mm-hmm. um, just and a, then gets just captured. A captain, then. Yeah, yeah, but he was just a captain. He he was involved in the Zebulon sisters who we heard about last season in Lower Decks getting booted from uh, active duty ships. Um, we see a report of the Earthly, Le- the ELDS, which probably means Earth League Division System of a game between the Buffalo Solar Knights and the London Kings. And of course, London Kings was a team we heard about from DS9 that Cisco liked. It's a baseball team. Yeah, a baseball team. Yeah, uh, we've got a Zach Dorn, who's a Strategema uh, Grandmaster. Yep. He's a six year old strategy. grandmaster. So again, you know, lots of connections and there's Sony Clemens, which who he was on the, um, I just blanked on the episode. Now
1: it's the neutral zone end, neutral, of, yeah. end of, end of season one of next generation. He's the country singer.
2: That's right, right. That's right. He's, he's the one that was in the the frozen. He was in the cryo freeze that they really rescued. Right. So. Yep. We had all those uh, little things. And then just kind of a, uh, ship geekery, uh, I think this might be the first time we actually see a shuttlecraft type number listed. You know, they, people talk about, you know, the Galileo type ships and the class eights or the type eights and stuff. Well, they actually show on here that this, the, the Cerrito shuttlecrafts are shuttlecraft type six alpha six alpha.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yep. Um, yeah, I love the little, the the little, um, nods, the little Easter eggs to other Trek stuff. Um, Boymuller at one point says, um, uh, the exclamation for Kirk's sake, uh, instead of for yeah. God's sake, for Kirk's sake, this is because of little things like that. Uh, uh, fun. Um, also, um, rutherford was wearing a sweater identical to the one worn by jake Cisco when he was mm-hmm. uh, throughout the episode so it's ah, kind of and he, I and he,
1: similar but he, he comments on it at one point they you know they're talking about taking boimler's pad and going to the court and are like are we dressed appropriately for the court and 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 rutherford says i don't know my sweater could be a little more asymmetric <laughs> <laughs> yes, very 90s sweater uh awesome jimmy do you have uh, any other notes uh, just a general one of uh, so I kind of like at the end of last season, um, they, you know, they had ended on the dramatic note of Captain um, Freeman being arrested and she's going to be put on trial for destroying pac Planet. And that could have been the launching point for a multi-episode thing. And I was kind of hoping they would do a multi-episode thing. And they didn't. They resolved it all in the first episode. And there are advantages and disadvantages to that. The advantage is now we have a regular season where we can do anything we want in the coming episodes. We don't have to, you know, keep fleshing out this one plot. On the other hand, um, I kind of like the depth. Of longer plots and so i'm a little disappointed but i'm also understanding of why they did it the way mm. they did mm-hmm.
0: pack LEDs are probably the ideal villain villains for aliens this. for lower decks yep. i gotta say yeah yeah they, they are the most comedic i think of of all of them uh frankie are up there too but yeah so, um yeah uh, all right, excellent. So I mentioned we have uh, feedback, so I want to get to that now and sock our, it to us, sock it to you. So our first feedback comes from our episode two seventeen on Hide and Q that TNG episode. Tom Grellinger writes, I wanted to add that besides the parallelism between the naked time in TOS and versus the naked now in TNG, there's a parallelism between the episodes of Charlie X and Where No Man Has Gone Before in TOS with the Hide and Q episode covered in. Episode 217. In all three stories, either crew members or a passenger, in the case of Charlie X, have incredible superhuman powers. I wonder if Gene Roddenberry was again borrowing from TOS to help fill out the script in the early first season of TNG. There's a decisive difference between how the Hide and Q episode is resolved. Riker chooses to give up his Q level powers, and each beneficiary of Riker's gifts chooses to reject them. With Charlie X, he's returned to the Thasians, and in a much darker ending, where no man has gone before has the superhuman crew members dying on an alien planet. As I rewatched Hide and Q in preparation for listening to your discussion, I was immediately drawn to those two previous TOS episodes and wondered if you saw the parallelism as well. Well, I there's certainly common elements and
1: Roddenberry in the first season, the first season of Next Gen was very troubled from a writing perspective. And they openly, I mean, like with the naked now, they they openly copied from yeah. TOS, uh, so they could certainly do it here. But at least, uh, at least this episode with Riker has vicious animal things.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: what it's a s- stupid line!
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that I was. it would say I was consciously aware of the parallelism, but there, it's it is a. A science fiction trope of the human getting superhuman powers or supernatural powers or something along those lines, and how does he deal with it? Ultimate power, absolute power, um, and so it's not to me. It's not surprising to see that sort of thing come up uh, again and again. And in fact, it's probably come up several times throughout Star Trek. If we, if oh, we really yeah, pressed well, it, it's,
1: it's part of Gene Roddenberry's standard. Anti God thing of and and anytime someone yeah. has godlike powers or godlike control, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right.
0: All right. So our next feedback comes from our episode where we discussed Arena Two Two One. Charles Gervaisi wrote on Twitter. I think the Metron's motivation for setting up the trial by Champion was they thought humans and Gorns were savages who needed to fight, but it was better to let the two top guys settle their dispute by violence without bringing hundreds of followers into the fighting. Although my theory doesn't explain why the Metrons said they would then, then kill the losing captain's crew. It could have been a lie to motivate them to fight, but if the Metrons had thought they needed to be tricked into fighting, then the Metrons would have known they weren't savages, and so on. So what do you think? Yeah, I think we talked about in our review of this episode that the Metron's
1: actions just don't make any sense. Mm -hmm. They should have gotten the information they needed from the logs of the ships that they scanned. Uh, They should have known all about our cultures and not been surprised by us displaying the advanced trait of mercy and (laughs) and just none of this they're just it, it, it's i'm glad captain kirk got to fight a gorn but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the the setup for it on the metron's part is just shot full of plot holes
0: yeah yeah uh then and i agree i agree with that that the metrons were as were a device used to get the gorn and the cat and the captain into the same place mm-hmm. but were not a really well thought through device It it, it kind of falls apart uh, then, our next feedback on the same episode, Sarah Kranz wrote on fa- Facebook MacGyver could have built a cannon just saying <laughs> yeah. uh Jack o'Neill too uh, from Stargate, yeah. which would be the same thing uh
1: I-, I love how in the um in the uh in children of the gods the the pilot episode of stargate s g one after the mm-hmm. movie um she's captain Carter at this point amanda yeah. tapping mm-hmm. captain Carter turns to uh to uh richard dean anderson and is talking about uh how they've been working on the technology uh you know for the gates and said it took us two years to macgyver away to
0: make this work
2: (laughs) (laughs) well and there's also a purposeful outtake on it there's a early episode of sg1 i can't remember the name of it but they're frozen in antarctic actually they they ended up going in antarctic uh ring and uh stargate and uh there's an outtake where she's, I'm trapped in this frozen wasteland and we've got all these things. And I'm trapped with MacGyver for heaven's sake. He can make a nuclear bomb out of a pen, you know, something like that. I can't remember the exact line. But yeah. and Richard Dean Anderson just looks at the camera like you could hear the crew behind laughing. It was all a setup. He just looks at the camera like, You guys are going to get it later. <laughs> oh, man. So uh,
0: then on episode 222, The Magics of Megas 2. Uh, that was un- unintentional, by the way, the numbering was not intentionally right. <laughs> uh, Brian S. on our Discord server writes, I'm rewatching the magics of Megas 2 tonight. The last time I saw this episode would have been the early nineties of VHS rental. McCoy has a great line right out of the gate or turbo lift. Kirk, Spock, what in the name of sanity is going on? <laughs> it just, <laughs> it's typically lovely. great over the
2: top uh, McCoy line. Yeah what was that he talked about movie rental. What's a VHS? (laughs) On a VHS. (laughs) Yes, yes. Be quiet. Be kind. Rewind. Yes. Be kind to your elders, too.
0: So uh, and then a more general question to round things out. Paul Leone wrote on Twitter. I'm suddenly wondering how Starfleet fairly handles promotion and seniority when you have some species that live twice as long or more than the others. For example, why isn't the Admiralty entirely elderly Vulcans? Partly
1: because Vulcans don't view interacting with humans as or other species as the best use of their time. Mm. And they're kind of xenophobic. And so they don't participate as fully as they would. I would assume that the um, that that it's what promotion you get unless you're on a series that's actually being followed unless you're on a ship that's actually being followed by a series (laughs) is and and thus you're the perpetual ensign like harry kim even though captain Mm -hmm. janeway could have made him a lieutenant years ago (laughs) um (laughs) that um that it's meritocratic yeah And now we don't really see it happening as a meritocracy on screen. People are frozen into positions for years that would never happen in in real life. Um, But uh, in principle, given their ideals, you'd think it would be meritocratic. However, part of it may be. Also, a desire for change and give someone else the opportunity. It shouldn't be the Mm -hmm. same people all the time. And so they they may have an I part of their ideal may be term limits. And Mm -hmm. they may say, we want a certain amount of changeover so we don't become ossified. And as part of your personal development, you're welcome to take on this position. But then after a certain point, you're kind of expected to step back and let someone else take it. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I've got I've also seen speculation that they, you know, understanding the different length of time that races and average live, that Vulcans purposely will stay in a certain rank longer, yeah. so that it it works out to kind of the same percentage. Like if you know, if your average time you're an ensign is two years, a Vulcan might be five years or something like that, where it's there's there's kind of so there's parity in that, so that you don't end up with Well, we've got 20 Vulcans in, you know, Starfleet command, and all of them are the the high admirals because they're the ones who've outlived everybody else.
0: Well, if you think about it, you know, you let Data into Starfleet, and in 300 years, he's the commander in chief, (laughs) just based on seniority.
1: Yeah, there may be also political considerations. Um, You know, Starfleet may work kind of like a Senate where you want to Mm. make sure we have representation of all the different Federation races so nobody feels shut out of the military. Mm. On the other hand, it has been alleged as in Star Trek 6 that that Starfleet is basically a human organization. And I've certainly seen it suggested that Starfleet is a fascist organization. And so maybe he it is. is. <laughs> and the humans just are the key people. And they've got some aliens around, some token aliens around to make themselves look broad minded.
2: Well, well, and we do know ambition plays a part in promotion because you had uh, Shelby in uh, Beth, Best of Both Worlds that was basically telling Riker off because he didn't want to leave the Enterprise. Right. She wanted his seat, basically.
0: Up or out I, I, I'm I lean toward the explanation of there's a there's a time limit there's a certain amount of time in service and then after that you're expected to retire and um, move on to, to other things I, I kind of like that that explanation pretty pretty well well thank you everyone for your feedback excellent feedback we love getting your feedback and we'll, we'll look for more you can send your feedback to Star trek at sqpn com or uh, any of those places that I mentioned that were that you can come communicate with us So let's wrap things up. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create The Secrets of Star Trek, including Patricia R., Ron S., Ryan W., Marlin, Marion M., and George U. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the episodes for us. And so that's it from us. What did you think of this first episode of the third season of Lower Decks called Grounded? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Starquest Media. You can send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com Discord. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of the Lower Decks called The Least Dangerous Game. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, all right, buckos, prepare for your Trek Amongst the Stars.